The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Financial Food for Thought. We are a financial educational talk program here every Saturday morning on 1420 AM between 9 and 10, here to give you helpful information, financial news, political news that may be relevant um, to your financial life and help, hopefully let, let making people aware of choices that they have. And, and certainly there are a lot of things in this world right now you can't control. Your financial life is one of them that you can take control over and many people miss opportunities are, or are not aware of potential problems or they're worried about something and don't really have a way to measure it or address that issue. And that's what financial planning does. And we talk about issues both for people who are still working and people who are in retirement. We are sponsored by the estate planning team and the estate planning team is an Ohio registered affordable fee-based fiduciary planning firm where what you think of as traditional financial planner numbers crunchers um, that do financial modeling and provide people with objective unbiased analysis with all the areas of their financial life. Um, and we're accredited and A-rated members of the Better Business Bureau. We're super service award winners on the Angie's List. And we've been helping people more than 35 years in the greater Cleveland era with specific issues or some people with a whole plan and modeling in when they can afford to retire, um, what they can spend and what steps they can take while working to create the income they need as tax efficiently as possible and coordinate with their existing advisors and, and designing a plan that minimizes the cumulative tax liability while, again, um, covering their spending and addressing concerns such as inflation, market volatility, future tax increases, health care costs, and how much discretionary spending they can do. And then breaking it down to analysis for people who have pension election analysis, timing of Social Security, um, IRA distribution or company plan distribution, um, Roth contributions, conversion rules and techniques. A lot of people don't know, you know, they may have so much in cash because they're worried, you know, cash reallocation planning and um, so much more. And people who are in retirement often miss opportunities um, or they work longer than they should. And we're going to talk about some of those issues on the show. We do offer a free no obligation, no pressure consultation, which we do by phone or we're still happy to meet in person. You can either just see an example of what we do. We have case studies or we can talk about your concerns. Or if you provide us information, we have a little worksheet that you have filled out. Um, we actually will run a preliminary analysis so we can identify potential problems where you're headed um, based on your current thinking. Are you headed in the right direction? You know, helping you know what you don't know. And maybe you're missing something that you're not even aware that exists. And you can take advantage of a free consultation at 440 440- 239-2090. Leave a message. We'll give you a call back on Monday. That's 440-239-2090. Or visit the website at financialfoodforthought.com. And also on the website, I do now have our September classes. And in September, we are doing IRA tax qualified asset and Roth planning classes. Um, as of now, there's going to be limited seating because, we, and so we ask that you pre-register and if you can't make it and you want to talk about the issue, you can still come in for a consultation or call us and we can send you a copy of the workbook. We have September 16th at six o'clock and September 22nd at three o'clock, both in Middleburg Heights. They're free to attend. Again, we just ask that you pre-register and it's for anyone 59 and a half or older. If you have IRAs, company plans or similar assets, um, the security Secure Act made changes with regard to these assets. We know that there's been a lot of talk about other changes. Um, and actually, if you want to hear more details and just get a little bit, if you listen to some of our podcasts, we spent several weeks, Mark, on this topic on Roth conversion planning, the difference between contributions, conversions. You talked about the backdoor Roth, the barn door Roth, um, and all, you know, how minimum required distribution often creates more tax dollars. So you can also sign up for that class online, or if you have questions, that's 440-239-2090. 
or financialfoodforthought.com. And you're listening to Kara Waddell, and I have Mark Donnelly here with this, me this morning. Yeah, good morning, Kara. Yeah, and actually today I want to talk a little bit of follow-ups on a couple of things you had just mentioned. Okay. One being the SECURE Act. And one of the change, you know, the Circuit Act, remember, was was voted in in December of 2019. Mm-hmm. And some of the provisions in that tax bill are haven't started yet, but there's one that's going to be starting. The deadline for the, I don't know if it's a deadline, but the idea of it was supposed to get started in September. And that has to do with the, uh, you know, the rule about annuities inside 401k plans and, mm-hmm. and not only annuities but the idea that the companies are going to be required to provide an annuitization equ- equivalent for all the participants and i'll talk a little bit about that today the other one too was you had just mentioned the uh, backdoor Roth, or, mm-hmm. or what we call the mega Roth, mm-hmm. backdoor Roth, or right. what I call the barn door Roth. And I had I was mentioning that sometimes we talk about things that are in opportunities that are currently in the tax code that may not be there tomorrow. Right. And and we, do you think maybe with government spending, some of those opportunities might go away? And we know when when there's the news that came out about these mega Ross and how the, these multimillionaires are sheltering millions and millions and perhaps billions of dollars in these tax favored shelters tax free (laughs) that that were designed to help middle America save for retirement, not necessarily make the super wealthy, super duper wealthy. right? Right. And, but the problem is, if they take it away, that could affect, are they taking it away for everyone? Or are they just taking it away for the wealthy? So we have some follow-up on that this week. Okay. You know, and, and remember, I was um, talking about the two main tax guys, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, people who you want to keep listening to, right? Right. And in in the Senate, we have Senator Ron Wyden, right? You know, which is, you know, he's... He came out with news this week. And then in the House, we have the Ways and Means chairman, Richard Neal. And so what did uh, what did Ron Wyden? So he's he's coming out and, you know, talking about ideas to limit Roth IRA benefits for high incomers are back on the table. All right. And he's prohibiting contributions to Roth IRAs with account balances over $5 million. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, Mark, I don't care about that. Okay. Because I'm never going to have $5 million in my Roth IRA. Unless you bought a stock maybe that takes off or some well, other asset. Wouldn't that be great? And, and I, can, I can understand that. But the question is, once they start bringing the caps back in, it's easier for them to dial it down again. Right. All right. Um, Ron Wyden also called for limiting Roth conversions on pre-tax funds to prevent high-earning individuals from making after-tax deposits into traditional IRAs and moving them to Roth. What what is that, Carrie? That's the backdoor mm-hmm. Roth. All right. Those ideas went nowhere at the time when he initially initiated those, but now in 2021, now Wyden is head of the Senate Finance Committee. He's got mm-hmm. a little bit more clout, right? And he's trying to revisit some of the earlier proposals he tried to he tried to get established back in 2016. Then we can switch our direction towards Richard Neal, you know, who is the chairman of the House Ways and Means. Again, the House of Representatives' main tax writing, you know, factor. And he, again, is talking about that study that came out that said there was so many, you know, 28,615 individuals in the U.S. right now that have over $5 million in their IRAs. 497 of them had balances of greater than $25 million. And the Democrats are looking for ways to prevent from IRAs what they call are being misused as a tax shelter for folks at the very top. So 
they want to beef up IRS enforcement on valuation reporting. You were just mentioning that that's the the idea that uh, Peter Thiel, you know, where he funded his Roth IRA, his $2,000 contribution in PayPal stock before it went right. public. And then over the years, as the his PayPal stock went public, he would sell the gains right. all inside a Roth IRA tax-free and reinvest in other startup tech companies. Right. And he didn't do anything illegal. No, other than... He used an opportunity. Right. And now the, the, the great line is that Roth IRA is now worth over $5 billion. And it's probably by now, within the, the double-digit growth this year in the markets, it's, it could be closer mm-hmm. to $8 billion. Right. So remember, I had played the ProPublica that in one individual who was saying, but maybe he did something wrong because maybe it, the the value of the stock was wrong. You know, when he said he was under the two thousand dollar contribution limit, perhaps the real value of that non traded stock was a lot higher. That part, but in the conceptually, he did nothing wrong. So we may see again Congress try to put in more rules now. Does this affect you? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. But it's just the idea of saying what could also they do if they decide that. Now, this one may affect you more. There's talk about reducing the amount of pre-tax pay-ins to 401ks. So there's a bipartisan House bill that would require the catch-up contributions to a workplace qualified retirement plan, such as 401ks, be subject to Roth treatment. This means that the extra 6500 contributed by workers who are 50 or older would automatically go into Roth 401ks and come from post-tax salary rather than pre-tax wages. Oh, so they have to pay taxes on the ca- So really, your catch-up, instead of reducing your current tax liability, they're saying, no, it's automatically going to a Roth for tax-free because we want the tax money on those dollars today. Yeah. and, and- But again, they're taking away a choice. Right. and Because and, a lot of companies are now offering Roth 401ks. And if you're not sure and you haven't checked with your company, I mean, we have a lot of people that come in even for the free. And we said, does your company offer? Well, I don't know. Maybe I got that email. I don't know. But so, so again, is that a pro Roth IRA or pro, in this case, Roth or um, Roth 401k? Or is it a next? I, I really don't know. I don't know. I think it's an anti-choice again. Yes. I think, again, it's, it's like, <laughs> Because everybody's well, circumstances are different. But to me, it just makes it a little bit more complicated. Right. And in, in a very complicated tax code already. Because a lot of people, their taxes, they're deferring. And for some people, their taxes are maybe higher, depending on what's going on in the future. But a lot of people are saying, hey, when I'm retired, my effective tax rate's potentially going to be lower so i want to defer now at a higher rate and then distribute those funds at a, and in a more tax efficient manner now the other th- follow-up was on the secure acts and this was the rule about from the department of labor that said that the companies for the 401k participants the employees they had to provide lifetime income illustrations now, this is we talked a lot about this when Secure Act came out, Gary. Mm-hmm. And if you recall, it, it's the idea that after 40 years that the 401ks have kind of been in existence, the world kind of came to the realization that it completely failed the baby boomer generation. Okay. And for a couple of reasons. One, you know, the meaning failure, meaning it, because what it took away were those pensions. Mm-hmm. Right. The defined benefit plan pensions that that are the 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 baby boomers' parents had very nice retirements. Mm-hmm. A lot of times based because they were getting guaranteed pensions right. for a lot of other reasons as well. But when the four hundred one k came into existence, the companies, in a twisted way, saw that as a way to get rid of those defined benefit plans and replace them with these defined contribution plans. Now, it sounded good on paper, right, that Mm -hmm. you could elect to put pre-tax money in. You could they would provide all these options in the plan. And then when you retire with the growth of the market and and everything else, you were golden. You you would you would have enough money to create your own pension. Mm -hmm. The only problem was baby boomers didn't fund them. Right, because you don't have to. Right, like the in the old traditional way, when you have the defined 
benefit plans, a lot of times they were automatically taking money out of your earnings. Mm-hmm. That's how the public pensions work, right? That they you you don't even you, you they do it right from day one. You're employed. They start they take money out and put it right. in, and then they match it. And, you know, so, and but, it's not a choice. It's just automatic, right. like payroll taxes or social. You know. But so after the, realizing that perhaps those pensions weren't such a bad idea for retirees, and well, the other thing that hurt too with the baby boomers is that we had some major stock crashes. So not only were they were not contributing, but some of them who were contributing to, took on too much risk in the markets, and because of that, they you know if they saw a huge market downturn right when they're going to retire sequence of returns you know that happened twice in the last decade you know march of 2000 then again in 2008 in the great recession that ruined a lot of baby boomers retirement plans so now they've come full circle and so so part of the secure act was saying hey we have to have or the government was going to mandate that the companies offer annuities inside the 401ks as an option. Mm-hmm. And the reason why very few of them offer them today was more of a company liability risk. In other words, the, the company was saying, hey, we don't want to take on the responsibility of picking the life insurance companies to provide the annuity product inside the 401k. Because as you know, only life insurance companies are licensed to sell annuities. Mm-hmm. So the company said, we've got risk here because our employ- our retirees are going to blame us. What if we chose life insurance company A to offer the annuity and 20 years later, life insurance A goes out of business and cannot continue that pension payout, right? That annuity payout. Our retirees are going to come back to us because mm-hmm. we're the ones that pick the life insurance company. So for that reason, they weren't always a very few times where they offered in 401ks. They were a little bit more available in the 403Bs, and that and we had a little problem with that in the 2008 Great Recession. But the government bailed out AIG, you know, the largest life insurance company in, in mm-hmm. the world. Remember, they got the bailout, so all those valid pensions, you know, wouldn't default. But now they're saying, well, yeah, we think that's a pretty good idea, and at least it should be an option. So the idea was twofold. One was that they were going to say, companies, you have to provide an annuity option in the 401ks. And two, at least, or in addition to that, you have to give people the heads up to say, if whatever they have in the company plan, the 401k, what type of guaranteed income stream could that kick out? Mm Mm-hmm. That's where we're coming up on the deadline, September 18th, where the companies have been have been told you've got to start reporting this now. All right. Now, apparently, we don't know how hard of deadline that mm-hmm. is. Um, some are saying they've got 12 months to implement it from September 18th. Even though they were December. Didn't this come out December 2019? Yes. Well, Blame it on the Rona, right? Right. Just like everything else. Um, so the lifetime income disclosure must provide two illustrations showing the monthly amount a participant or beneficiary would receive if his or her account balance was used to provide, first, a single life annuity, and second, a joint survivor annuity. Okay. The monthly amounts illustrated are to be based on a participant's current account balance and assume the payments were to start immediately as if the participant were age 67 or the actual age if older. So they're putting some parameters around this, right? Now they give an example. And and so, and, and this is nothing new to the estate planning team, Carrie, you know, Mm -hmm. we've been running these types of models forever, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and working with, the life insurance companies that provide the annuities. And that matter of fact, that's one of the big problems we have with people who buy annuities, right? They, they never seem to, you know, what the annuity salesman never seems to get around to the, the, the client about when to start talking about taking money out. Well, especially ones that have income writers. We have people that come in and I'm like, does your contract have an income writer? And they said, I don't know. I think so. I mean, people don't even understand 
what they need. And I think too much, since you mentioned it, a lot of people doesn't just because annuities are offered doesn't mean you all of a sudden switch and put a hundred percent into it. And you hear the annuity salesman, you know, always talking about creating a self pension and it's the same concept. But now if you're in a 401k, you may see those types of products offered to you, or at least the idea that there, if you, if you are, you don't have the wherewithal to run your own calculations about saying, well, if I had this much in my 401k and I'm going to retire next year, what type of guaranteed income could I get? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could. We're used to that. I mean, that that's right. something that we were always and and. But they give an example. You know, government gives an example. Now remember, they're using age 67, right? Mm-hmm. So if that's not your age, guess what? You have to modify it mm-hmm. to your age. Now, that won't be a big difference if you're within a year or two of that. But if you're in five years away from that on either side of that, it's going to matter. Also, the idea, are you looking for a single life annuity or a joint survivor? Well, again, if you're a single person, you're just you can go with the single. Mm -hmm. If you're married, you might want to go with the joint. Maybe, maybe not. How do you know the difference? That's why you don't ask your neighbor. And have analysis before you make a decision. All right. So under the example, just to give you an example, the example they use is you've got $125,000 in your 401k. And also what's the annuity payouts, carry? they are interest rate sensitive, right? So they somewhat correlate with what's going on with interest rates. And mm-hmm. as everyone knows, we're in a low interest rate world right now. Right. And I don't know how soon we're going to be out of a low interest mm-hmm. rate world. You know, we're taping this show on, on Friday morning. And on the way in to the studio, I was listening to Fed Chairman Powell, you know, doing his remote Jackson Hole speech. And part of that, if I remember, Kara, if I have time, I want to talk a little bit about that as well. But he was kind of saying, yeah, they may start tapering, meaning slow down the asset purchases. But he said that's clearly not the same thing as where they're going to start raising interest rate. Now, and by the way, did you hear any of his speech? It was I thought I, I think he might have solidified his his re up on his status as chairman. No. I think this speech might have done it. Because I think he he got th- he got through what he wanted to say. He did it in a non-alarming way. The market jumped, uh, you know, at you know at the time th- that he was speaking, and he, I think he did a real good explanation of why he still believes that this inflation we're seeing is transitory and not permanent. Um, he gave some examples of that. If I have time, I'll try to get into that. What was I talking about? The example, right? So if you have a 401k, start watching, because I know all of you, of course, read those quarterly statements from, you know, go over with a fine tooth comb, right? But you might want to start seeing, if you see it in yours, these lifetime income illustrations start appearing. Okay. Or if you see annuity products being offered as one of the options. Mm -hmm. And you might want to say, hmm, should I put some of my nest egg into that pot. Mm-hmm. create a guarantee all right 125,000 is the example age 67 interest rate sensitive so right now they're saying that annuitized money in the background see in other words when you annuitize you're giving up the asset right in other words if you've got in this case 125,000 you've given it to the annuity company right right in exchange for a guaranteed income stream same thing with the pension if you have a pension decision you have a lump sum Versus a pension, you basically turn it on as a, a check that you can't change, or I take right. a big lump sum pile of money. So the asset in an annuization kind of goes away, right? But they're still earning. They give you an earnings on that money because they're not really immediately paying it all out to you. But because interest rates are so low, like, for example, the government's example is they're using 1.83% is the internal rate of return currently now on annuity payout. Mm. So what does that translate to? Well, the 125000 age 67, for a single life annuity, it comes out to $645 a month. 
It's about seven thousand seven forty a year <laughs> on the hundred twenty five thousand. So percentage wise, it's about a six point one nine percent payout. Okay. All right. Meaning if you hundred twenty five thousand seven thousand seven forty a year, that's about six point one nine percent. Now, like I said, that's for age sixty seven single. Now, what happens if you are looking for a joint? At age 67, meaning it's going to be lower. It's going to be lower because now the risk that they have to make pay out for two lives. Right? So that payout is equivalent to about $533 a month or about 6396 or about 5.11%. So, so that's a good rule of thumb, for example, under, under the current economic and interest rate conditions. Starting an annuitization or a lifetime income at age 67, if just figure for a single life annuity, use 6% if you're budgeting this at home. Mm-hmm. And for a joint survivorship, use 5%. All right? And then you can back in to how much of annuity you would have to buy if you were looking to create a certain amount of guaranteed income. Mm-hmm. You could back into it. You could do the reverse math, right? But also... If you are starting before age 67, or for example, you could have a situation where you and your spouse have a, a, a big age difference, meaning let's say your spouse is five to 10 years younger than you. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's going to really drag down that joint payout, right? Because you've got a much younger person. Right. So that's... That's the idea. And so there's a lot of people out there and you hear a lot of, you know, and that's that's one of the selling stories you'll hear about people who sell annuities is the idea that you it's you know, you should be creating enough guaranteed income to cover your basic living expenses in retirement. Yeah, but there's lots of ways you can do that. I think annuity there's no good or bad. It's how it's used and how much. And do you understand that's, you know, and what's the purpose of it? Which you should be asking what's the purpose for all of your assets. <clears throat> and yeah, and, and so that's why you may want to get a, a good financial model in place first before you go out and buy an annuity. Right. And sometimes people will say, oh, how many times have we had clients that they were thinking and were like, well, maybe you won't want to do the whole thing. Maybe you do a part. And why do you, you don't always have to do it in all one concept or strategy? I mean, there's a lot of thought into what do you really need and how do you know without first having a plan? I mean, a lot of things sound good and they may be good, but do you know how they fit into your overall plan? Can you use what you have as well without going out? I mean, just trying to get that objective analysis um, for your needs first. And that's what we do at the estate planning team. And if you have questions about this or annuities or IRA distribution planning or retirement planning or any other issue, you may face Roth conversions. You can give us a call at 440-239-2090. Remember, we're offering free consultations by phone or in person. That's 440-239-2090 or send an email through the website at financialfoodforthought.com. And if you're interested in the IRA and Roth classes, uh, make sure you register early because we are limited in seating to both um, dates on September 16th at 6 and September 22nd at 3 o'clock, both in Middleburg Heights. And again, details are on the website or you can call our office and we'd happy to call you back and go over um, the class details at 440-239-2090. All right. Listen to Mark Donnelly, Carrie Waddell, and we're the co-owners of the estate planning team. State planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. And over those decades, Carrie, we've always coached our clients through uncertain economic times. Mm-hmm. And This I, isn't the first. It won't be the last. No. Nope. Are dark- you prepared? I think our clients are per- better prepared because they know how to adjust. You know, our clients know enough now that if we have a model and they say, I'm worried about hyperinflation or I'm worried about inflation being high the next two, three years, then we can model that in. Does that change any of what you need to be doing? And then what action steps you should do now? Does that adjust my retirement date or does that adjust some of my future spending or the longevity of my plan? And sometimes I know, Mark, we have people that, um, 
are fortunate enough that even in worst case scenarios, they're still going to be fine based on their spending and they have enough assets to support some of those changes. And then it's also then looking at, hey, even worst case scenario, if you're never running out of money, why are you taking on more risk than necessary? And maybe they need to be in more safe positions than taking on more risk than they need to to be okay, even though we all get excited about higher returns. Yeah, there's a certain greed factor, but I can't stress enough the 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 concept of when you're going into retirement, it, are you are you still trying to get your pot bigger? Or at that point, are you just trying to protect what you have and have a nice retirement? Mm-hmm. And because you don't want to take on a lot more risk than what you need to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's why before you make major retirement decisions, do you have a good economic model? that projects out into the future, looks at a worst-case scenario mm-hmm. or a lesser-case scenario, not so much the catastrophic. You know, sometimes clients want to look at the catastrophic-case scenario, Carrie, you know, that the world's going to end tomorrow. Right. Well, that's fine, uh, We, but we have very few clients that really put any credence in that. Right. It's But certainly a plan R, you know, what happens if inflation is higher. What Le- happens if the market tanks? The next economic downturn. So you had meant you had just mentioned what could trigger the next economic downturn. Is it the Delta dip we've talked about? You know, you know the Biden, the Biden inflation, or um, just Biden and his bad mistakes. You know, did you hear President Biden? I don't know. No, Gary. I couldn't watch. I mean, I I just felt so bad. You know, when he was talking about for the loss of life. You, you know, know, when he was, when the, he was talking about how we we're going to hunt you down. Oh, and I just don't know. I I don't know if he who he struck more fear into ISIS K or the American public in that speech. I, I neither. <laughs> I, I mean, really? Good yeah. grief. Yeah. You just feel bad that and, other people are paying for his bad decisions and the families of the fallen. I mean, but we did, uh, you know, we did see the terrorist bombing. It you know felt it rocked Wall Street. But then. On Friday, we had Jerome Powell come out much more confident, you know, stating facts, stating this is our data that we're seeing. This is why we're still believing that a lot of this inflation is transitory. A lot of, you know, but the Delta could disrupt Mm -hmm. things for a bit. You know, he was explaining the difference, why it was different, why this Rona recession was different, right? You know, you always heard it's different this time, Carrie, right? Mm-hmm. But Paul made a pretty good case for it because what what he was saying was that the shutdown, the the economy completely changed. We weren't spending money on services anymore. The service industry ended, right? But Americans were spending money on durable goods. Mm-hmm. They were buying home improvement. I mean, they were buying yeah. lumber. They were buying automobiles. They weren't buying dinners out or they weren't buying vacations, right? You had I don't go- know. The vacation people, like, they talk about the hot spots have gone, like, I don't know where they got that data because, like, some of the vacation hot spots that were hard to find places this year, I've heard from clients. Well, in the, in the first year of recovery, I'm right. talking about during the shutdown. Okay. 2020. Right. Uh, there's no travel going on in 2020. I don't know, Mark. I don't know. If... Um, I think some people, maybe not like out of state, but state, you know. Well, but globally, I'm right. just saying. Globally, the, I'll get. The, yeah, the the, the, the the hospitality industry collapsed. Oh, it was terrible. Now, but that doesn't mean Americans stop spending money. Right. You just spend it somewhere else. There, oh, well, home improvements went through the roof because right. you're stuck at home. Okay. So you had the durable goods. So, But the... The companies, the manufacturers weren't prepared with their inventories for that and increased demand for the durable goods. Okay, you just can't magically think you've got 10 more thousand cars to sell, right, than that you were planning in a normal year. Mm -hmm. 
So, and then you add to the the, the inventory shortage, the supply chain mishap with the Rona, mm-hmm. you know, and that combined led to this pen, you know, this demand for these durable goods that raised the price, obviously, of the durable goods. We saw lumber skyrocket. We saw used car sales prices skyrocket. But now we're seeing the lumber prices come back down. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing the used car prices coming back down. Don't look now, but did you fill up your gasoline tank on the way in? It's below $3 a gallon. Yeah, I yeah, did this week. You know, it, well, I fill up every week. We didn't but... get to $6 a gallon like oh, a few months ago. A lot I don't of people even worried think, about I think if we got to $4, people would be screaming. Hyperinflation, we should have been at $6 well but before now. Oh, I it, don't think I don't think the American people mark would stand for $6 an hour. No, but I, again, even $4. But the, is... this is what we're saying. Don't get caught up in the headlines. Mm-hmm. Don't get caught up in one of the two political parties using scare tactics right. to get you to vote for the other party or mm-hmm. their party. Right. All right. Um, Biden inflation might not be as bad as what you may be hearing. To clarify, you said Biden inflation, not Biden. That's um, a separate story. Now, consumer confidence is a big part of this. And that's the self-fulfilling policy. So what is that? What could trigger the next market decline? Is it the Delta variant? Is it the you know global geopolitical chaos? Biden inflation, consumer confidence. How about the Democratic progressive tax agenda? Mm. So, we what happened this week with the infrastructure? So because we we have a lot of clients who talk to us and saying, is this government spending gonna kill us? Is it going to lead to hyperinflation? Is it, or is the, future taxes? Or, or is it the taxes going to skyrocket? Mm. Is that going to hurt small businesses? Well, the, yeah, somebody's got to pay for this. Well, is it really going to happen? Now, we have Nancy Pelosi in her parlay deal. <laughs> did, did, did you hear what? I mean, did you follow what happened? It, it kind of got lost with obviously the Afghanistan news. But, Carrie, did you follow what was happening? Because I was trying to follow it. And, and the more I tried to follow it, the more confused I got. Okay. And who, what really was, what was the deal that Pelosi was trying to parlay? Because, you know, it, it started. So everyone knew that we had these two infrastructure, infrastructure one, which is the bipartisan. That's when the Democrats and Republicans got together. So we're going to do true infrastructure. We want it to be one point two trillion dollars. And we got we have enough votes in the Senate to get it done. We have enough votes in the House to get it done. Let's get it done. But then you had the squad and then the progressive Democrats, the, the, the Bernie Sanders and the AOC saying, well, hold on a second. We're not going to vote for the bipartisan infrastructure one unless we're guaranteed we're going to get infrastructure two that the three and a half trillion done at the same time. They tried to strong arm, right? Mm-hmm. And they tried to use that as leverage and say, we're not going to vote for infrastructure one. If you can't guarantee us, we're going to get infrastructure two. And they wanted the the bills to go simultaneously through Congress. Well, there are a lot of Republicans in the Senate saying, "Well, wait a second. I, no, I'm not, I'm not all. I, I'm okay with the 1.2 trillion. That doesn't mean I'm okay with the three and a half trillion. Hold on here. Mm-hmm. And so we, we so it was back in Nancy Pelosi's court, right? And we and of course we've heard the names of the republic you know the Democrat senators who also say I'm not for the three and a half trillion the Joe Manchins right and the mm-hmm. Kristen Cinemas. But now this week we learned about not only you know we've heard about the squad we don't know who right. they are but the mod squad okay so these are nine moderate House Democrats not Senate House Democrats who then they came out this week and said hey look at we're we are not going to consider voting for the budget resolution, you know, three and a half trillion until the bipartisan one point trillion infrastructure is done deal. So now Pelosi's got a problem. Because now she has two parties in her own party or two facts. Uh, Factions in her own right, party. That's a problem. Um, and so she had to parlay a deal. Isn't that the theme of the country? Like it's division, division, division within own parties. 
Yeah, I, yeah. It's just we. I That's see, the theme. I see this sad. country barreling towards the Labor Day holiday, and I'm not so, so sure we're all too excited about the Labor Day holiday. No, that's what I'm saying. All is division, division. What about coming together? I mean, so the deal was Nancy said that she would um, advance the bipartisan infrastructure bill by September 27th, and. If she promises that, the mod squad then said, okay, then they would vote in favor of advancing the budget resolution bill forward. So what does it really mean? I don't know. I don't really think that there is enough votes in the Senate and perhaps the House for that $3.5 trillion infrastructure to plan. Mm-hmm. So all so you may be hearing that uh oh you're you know that this is a done deal because of this Pelosi parlay it's not a done deal in my opinion it ain't over till it's I mean maybe they need to scale it back a bit and not how about we just put infrastructure in the infrastructure bill and not add all of this stuff that has nothing to do with infrastructure well uh, what do you want is that a novel idea not according to Bernie Sanders. I'm just saying, how can you call it an infrastructure deal when it has so much crap that has nothing to do with that? Because, you know, according to Bernie Sanders, Carrie, if we don't do the reconciliation deal, right, seniors won't get dental, vision, or hearing in home care. Okay, because... Okay, Drug it, prices will soar. Families will be denied 300 a month per kid. Climate change will worsen. Families won't receive child care and affordable housing. That's what I'm saying. That's a separate bill. I mean, if that's you really want to a scare vote, tactic. Right. But I'm just saying how much stuff that's irrelevant. Uh, how much would the bill be if you just had infrastructure? Only. A lot less. And also, I don't know if you need to change your estate plans. Maybe Right you do. now because what of some of the proposals of how they would pay for the $3.5 trillion. Which would is see a lot of times the headlines come and said, "Oh, we're the country's one step closer to you know eliminating the step up in basis rules and lowering the federal state tax exemption, maybe and raising the income taxes and all these other things." And, but you know, what, Mark, it's good for people to relook at these things anyway because we had clients in the beginning that started with us. You know, we recommend people look at it. Pira, I mean, when it started, Ohio had an estate tax. The exemption was 600000 and, you know, there's people, we recommend that you look at it periodically because things change either way and make adjustments. And there's, and I don't want, so I, again, well, all we're saying is I don't know if we have enough data to say that this Rona recession is completely over. I do think the Federal Reserve made a good case that they why they're not worried about hyperinflation and that they're ready they're on they're all to all the central bankers are on board that it's it's time to start begin tapering by probably by the end of the year i think that september jobs report is going to be very important see so, you know they're going to continue to look you know the, the the uh the fed is saying they still have the dual mandate mm-hmm. you know which is full you know employment as well as Inflation target of 2%. And then what the Congress is going to do, I do think there will be infrastructure one. I think that will get done. And I think most Americans want to see that get done. And there's no tax increases in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I don't think they're going to get the infrastructure two, the three and a half trillion passed. Good. I don't think they should. And I don't know if they're going to eliminate the step up in basis because I think that's a very difficult, you know, to to to, to enforce. To, right. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say when you talked about the Secure Act and things that we're going to touch on in the class, I don't know. You know, there some people still don't know there were changes to minimum required distribution getting bumped up to seventy two. Also, there were changes with a stretch IRA. Yeah, that occurred that we're going to talk about at that class. So I want to make sure that you know those are Did all the you things. Want to talk that, about them now, Carrie? I was going to say, yeah, the stretch IRA. I think people, you know, and that's true of inherited IRAs. Um, 
So, you know, when you were talking about estate planning, and then I know you were talking about the SECURE Act, it made me think about that. I know you're going to spend time in detail in the class, but there are changes. You know, you think, you know, an IRA asset is one of the most expensive assets to pass because the um, individual, usually children or family members, as long as it's an individual and not a charity, gets that asset as ordinary income, which hits their tax return. And in many cases, you know, they don't have to take the stretch IRA. But there were changes with the SECURE Act to how long they can stretch it out. It, it, yeah, or not really stretch it out right. anymore. It's, it's a 10-year, it's a so the non-spouse beneficiary has a 10-year period to get the inherited IRA out. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't have any required minimum in that 10-year period. So and they also don't have to take the stretch. So even that's your intention. But if you name a beneficiary on your IRA or company plan... They don't have to take the stretch. I oh, guess that's, that's the one that's thing. That's back to the yeah original. Right. Yeah, not yeah not a lot of beneficiaries stretched it out. But if saying? they were and they want to minimize the taxes, and now they don't have to take that inherited minimum required distribution, right. but they do have to disperse it. And so I, at the at the class version this year, we'll certainly be recapping the Secure Act of 2019, but we'll also be talking about the Secure Act too. Which mm-hmm. I referenced on this show a while back, and what is proposed because a lot of people aren't aware of that that there is a Secure Act too in the works, mm-hmm. and we I have, think because we have so much going on, yeah, and we have a lot, and there was a lot of bipartisan support to get that done, which would for certain for it, it, it would, would raise the requirement wage even further than age seventy two for for younger people. And so there's a lot, and there, and we talked about something. So we'll be, re, so we'll be also talking about the proposed changes in Secure Act too. Now the other thing too is that what I was talking a little bit about last week is how do you, if you're worried that we could have a, the next economic downturn for whatever reason you pick out, you think is mm-hmm. the reason the Delta dip, the geopolitical chaos, the Biden inflation, the consumer confidence, the progressive tax agenda. If, you know, any of those things you think could trigger either a stock market decline or mm-hmm. a, another recession, something more globally. Well, remember the three steps that we, we, we talk about all the time. It, it, you know, one, make sure you have an adequate cash reserve. Mm-hmm. All right. So that you are don't find yourself in a position where you're having to sell your stocks low mm-hmm. to provide the cash flow you need to maintain your lifestyle. Now, if you're still working, that's less of a concern because you're still bringing in wages. Mm-hmm. So you, you're not dependent upon your distribution from your nest egg for cash flow. But in retirement, it's, that's not the case. You may be dependent on distributions from your nest egg for your cash flow. Mm-hmm. Now, some of you will be lucky enough that we'll have pensions. And, of course, all of us or a lot of us will have Social Security. Mm-hmm. But that alone may not be enough to cover your lifestyle cost in retirement. So you might have to do that. All right. The second thing is the idea of rebalancing, right? In other words, because we've had these stock market, and with all the bad news that we've seen in the headlines, don't look now, Carrie, but all the three major stock indices, the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P, are all up high double digits. Okay. 15 20%. I mean, with all the bad news. Right. Climbing the wall of worry, right? But the idea is because we've had such run-ups and you are – you know, worried about that, you know, what would the S&P set 52 new highs this year alone? The, the idea is, are you rebalancing? Are you locking in your gains? Are you not letting your allocation get out of whack? So if you're, if you're trying to design to be a 60, 40 type of allocation or a 50, 50, if you're a little bit more conservative or whatever your allocation was, the idea is because we've had this run up in the market, are you out of whack? So are you more than your equity position that you want to be? Well, that's the idea. Remember, you're supposed to sell high, right, and buy low. So the idea is, well, maybe you, you by a rebalancing, 
that helps you lock in some of those gains that'll make you feel better if you before you lose them with a market mm-hmm. downturn and it'll also it'll protect you in a downside um, and the third one is of course is build your plan R and this is the idea of saying all right I have my base case scenario. This is what I'm currently experiencing. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you, you because you're currently experiencing uh, double digits in the markets that you assume that that's every year ongoing. No, that's not what I mean. It means that if you were basically assuming that your 60-40 portfolio could get you 6% rate of return, that's your base case scenario, right? And maybe if you were a 50-50 portfolio, you were thinking you could get, you know, a 5% rate of return or whatever. You know, this is, there's a lot of times if you don't know, ask your investment advisor. Now I always say, you know, that's a good question to ask your professional investment advisor. Hey, Mr. Advisor, based on how you're allocating my investments today, what long range rate of return do you think I should be using to build my financial model? Mm-hmm. And then just be quiet and see what they say. Now, if they come back and give you a range and say, oh, well, Mr. Smith, based on, you know, how I've allocated today, somewhere between a four and eight percent. Don't let them get away with that. That's I mean, too big of a range. Yeah, it's a complete. And if you don't believe me, come in and we'll show you. I'll show you the same, you know, two retirement plans based on the same amount of spending, mm-hmm. the same amount of Social Security. One I'll run at a 4% rate of return, and one I'll rate on at 8% rate of return. And we, you will see the difference of how that what happens to your nest egg over 30 years. I was going to say there's a big difference even between one, 4 and 5. 1%, right. So don't let them get away with telling you, oh, somewhere between 4 and 8. Be, nail them down. Say, well, do I use 4% or do I 8% or do I go right in the middle? Okay, that's clarification. Now, so that may be your plan A, right? And and hopefully your plan A is working. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're not done with plan A yet. Right. Now, but just for fun, you may want to build what we call a plan R. R could stand for recession, could stand for recovery, could stand for uh, resuscitation, um, mm-hmm. could stand for the Rona. Right? And the idea is saying, I'm going to, you know, model a different, result or a mm-hmm. different assumption not that you're going and changing all your assumptions no you're changing one at a time so what we're talking about is maybe you're going to say i don't think that my 60 40 portfolio is going to do six percent for the next three years maybe you want to model in an economic downturn mm-hmm. okay but uh, we keep everything else the same initially inflation your expenses you don't make any of those changes to those assumptions right and then you and then if you want to know how to do that come and see us you can come to the classes that are coming up and we can show you how using these economic models puts you in a decision making mode and you can call the estate planning team for the classes or a free consultation at 440-239-2090 that's 440 440- Two three nine twenty ninety, or visit financialfoodforthought.com. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.